He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Children growing, women producing, men go working, some go stealing. Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. We'll start this time with Case. But I'm coming out with some fire tonight. This afternoon, I had an incident. I was having a great day. I was at a gas station getting some gas, as you do at a gas station. And I had a lady come up to me and say, excuse me, sir, will you buy some Girl Scout cookies? And I said, no, ma'am. To which she belligerently replied, what? And I just stared at her for a couple of seconds. And I'm like, and then I'm like, no, I've actually, I've already purchased a bunch. And so I don't really need any more. And then she like huffed and puffed and it's like yelled, whatever, and stormed away with her daughter. And I've been thinking about that ever since. Like, did I miss the memo? That we have to buy Girl Scout cookies every time somebody's selling them? You don't have to. You just should because they're delicious. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, you you should. Should. <laughs> but I didn't need my 30th box of Thin Mints or Samoas either. <laughs> when in doubt, you buy the Tagalongs. I thought you would have learned this by now. No. I'm over it, man. I'm sick of being bullied by the Girl Scouts and their <laughs> cookies. <laughs> Those pesky 10-year-olds just... Hounding me all day. I got bullied by a bunch of Girl Scouts and their moms. That's what we all have to look forward to when we get to your age. That's it. It's getting bullied by Girl Scouts. That's exactly right. I'm going to savor my early to mid-30s as long as I can. <laughs> Rigby. I'm happy to report that I finally was able to watch Parasite, and I really, really enjoyed it. It was a very good movie, and I'm happy to cross that off the off the list. You took you a long time because you weren't willing to be bullied by film snobs. I'm with you, Rigby. Don't watch that just because James is forcing you to do it. Oh, a f- classic film snob me. I was ashamed, so I'm glad I I'm glad I took care of that. That's fair. Look at that. James. Things were going well until the other day my wife and daughter were at a gas station selling Girl Scout cookies and this man just like berated them. <laughs> nah, dude, I'm good. <laughs> I'm just hanging out. And by the time this has come out, the Winter Olympics will have started, which I feel like no one has remembered that it's a thing. And two, uh, James and I will have seen Jackass Forever in theaters and laughed our asses off at grown men assaulting themselves on television for entertainment. I hope that style of humor never falls out of favor with me. It is sophomoric and dumb and hilarious. Amen. We grew up with it. Might as well get one last one in before we go be adults again. But we're glad to have... Yeah, we are. A fantastic guest back with us. Laura Beneke is here. Laura is a film nerd who loves Star Wars, the bears, sword fighting, gardening, and animals. She's also a SAG actor and stuntwoman. Woo. For a brief time, she worked in casting. She is a proud mom of three strong and gorgeous daughters and works a day job at a big bank. She normally picks actors who are from Chicago, so this is a bit of an oddity. But she was here with us before for the Gary Cole and Bonnie Hunt episodes. Welcome back, Laura. How's life? Tell us about everything. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me having me back. I'm so excited to be back. Right now, I am watching all the SAG screeners feverishly so I can vote for the SAG Awards, helping out with my girls' musicals. The high school is doing Footloose, so that was kind of a throwback. And uh, the middle school is doing uh, Willy Wonka. Ooh. And then classics. I'll be on too much scrolling, helping them out with their Oscar episode on their podcast. Nice. And then I don't know if, if Kyle told you guys, but because of my last visit with you guys, an old producer friend of mine reached out. I had a lot of fun. And then just working, you know, work's been busy. So yeah, that's my life. Super cool. It's pretty exciting. That's awesome. All right, birthdays, February 10th. What do we got, Riggs? First up, we have Elizabeth Banks in such films as 40-Year-Old Virgin, Role Models, Pitch Perfect series, and also The Hunger Games. She's in two of my favorite comedies ever, 40-Year-Old Virgin and Role Models. Mm-hmm. Those are in the top 10 for me of all time. Yep. So. My guess is 43? 41. Yes. I'm going to go 45. I'll go 44. Yeah, we're peppering it. All right, Kyle wins. She's turning 48. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. We were under. You guys were all close within each other. So nice, nice guess there. I honestly thought I was high. She's also had a nice, nice career for herself. She'd be a fun, a fun uh, Munson to cover one of these days. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. All right. Next up, we got Emma Roberts. We're the Millers, American Horror Story, Scream Queens, famous daughter, or her daughter is a famous Munson favorite, Eric Roberts. She's excellent in Scream Queens, by the way. Perfect casting for that type of role. I'm going to say Emma. I think Emma's about my age. Maybe a couple of years. I'm going to say 30. I'm going to say 32. I should have prefaced that her uh, she, her aunt is uh, Julia Roberts, by the way. A little more recognizable than Eric Roberts. I had no idea that Eric Roberts and Julia Roberts were related. <laughs> yeah, I'm just learning that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Emma Roberts is Eric Roberts' daughter? Yes. So she's one of his children that reads all the scripts for him and tells him what movies to do. <laughs> and t- never tells him to turn a movie down. Yeah, that's awesome. Give me 35. Oh. 33. My age. Uh, who guessed 30? Me. Oh, come on. You win again. She's turning oh, 31. Come break. on. Kyle's cheating. Nice job, Kyle. All right. Last but not least, we have Laura Dern. I think we all know who Laura Dern is. Oh, she's great. Jurassic Park, but she's she won the Best Supporting Actress role for Marriage Story two years ago. Just uh, a- another person who would be really fun to cover. Great career, and just she's, she crushes it and everything she's in, in my opinion. So any guesses on Laura Dern, how old she's turning? Another famous dad, right? Bruce Dern? Bruce Dern is her father, yep. I'm going to say 55. Ooh, that's mm-hmm. pretty good. That's very good. I'm going to go a little bit lower. I'm going to go 52. I'm going to try to go three for three with the blonde actresses today. I'm going to play hardball here. Laura, 56. <laughs> oh, man. Um, the star of Jurassic Park, which came out when I was six years old. I'm going to say 53. Laura guessed Laura's age right on the number. She's 55. Nice job, Laura. Okay. <laughs> well done. Well done. Good job. Interestingly enough, one other person who I chose not to put forth is Chloe Grace Moretz. Oh. It's her birthday on February 10th as well. So happy birthday to a former uh, former actor that we covered a few episodes back. That's a fun episode. Shout out to the other Laura guest we have. Oh, uh, yes. My sister was on the, for that. The, the Laura universe is, getting, is growing by the episode. Yeah. 
the Loraverse, as they might call it. Five actors that we threw onto the wheel for this episode 55. And those five actors were Paul Giamatti, Chris Christopherson, Timothy Chalamet, Glenn Powell, my birthday boy. It doesn't matter, though, because the wheel chose Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo. And Laura decided to join us for this. If you're wondering, like, all right, J-Lo, she's been around a long time. What does her career look like? That's that's what we do. We We dig into this. But overall, if you look at her IMDb, she has 125 credits, which is very misleading because... A hefty majority of them, over 80 of them, are soundtrack credits. So it's their music videos from either stuff that she did or she guest appeared on. So, but so once you take that out of the fold, 32 films, lots of producer credits, so over 25 producer credits. So a lot in the entertainment world crossing many different genres. But before we talk specifics, we shall see if James can stump us in the actor trivia world. For those of you who are new, Laura, you know the game. I'm going to read three facts. Uh, two of them are going to be about Jennifer Lopez. One of them is going to be about a member of the Fast and the Furious franchise. The guys are going to try to guess which one is not about J-Lo, but they don't have to guess who it actually is about. But that seems to be the trend we're going with. So I'd be impressed if you guys know this one as well. Uh, but here we go. So fact number one. She's the fourth person in history to have a movie and a music single both debut at number one at the exact same time. Fact number two. Has been nominated for Razzies for both Worst Actress and Worst Supporting Actress in nine roles, more than any other actress in the award's history. Fact number three. Was the inspiration for the creation of Google Images. Interesting. Mm, Wow. Good job, James. JLo gives you a lot. Very interesting facts. A lot of ammunition, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like the first one has got to be right. It could be finagling with the numbers like he did last time. Like It said the fourth actress to do it. Yeah. But didn't he say four? Yeah. I thought she was the first one. But how many Razzies did you say? Nine. Nine Razzies. Nine rolls, right, James? Nine rolls. Are you saying nine... Razzie's she won or nominated? Nominated. She's only won one. I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, that's a good guess. I'm going to say it's number three because I think that's John Voight. Nice. <laughs> Is John Voight in the Fast and Furious movies? Don't care. I think it's John Voight. I think I think James is messing with us. If it's not John Voight, it should be. He should be the inspiration for Google Images. How great would that be? John Voight is always the answer. Yes. I saw him at a restaurant two, three weeks ago, and I've never been so intimidated by anybody in my life. So there you go. I'm sitting here tempted to say that Secunda Wood is the reason Google Images exists, but I don't think she's been around long enough for that. Nice. Thank God. I'm going to go. I think she's been nominated for nine Razzies. I think she just went under the radar and and was nominated for quite a few. I, we talked last time. The, the data is clear. Every time I mention her name, her IMDb rating goes up. So now, Kyle, you got me thinking, because now I think the first one might be false, but I don't know which Fast and the Furious character that would be about. Music and movie? You said the fourth the fourth person, James? Is that what you said? Yes. I feel like he's play, he's fidgeting with the numbers, and I think I think J Lo has done that. She just might not have been. She was like the probably the first or the second to do it. So, but I can't think of a person who in the franchise would be other than Vin Diesel. But there's no yeah. way he was number one. Yeah, I guess I'll go Wiz Khalifa. I don't know. Have you even seen the Fast and Furious? There's so many musicians in these. Movies. 
Yes, I know he's I know he's in the soundtrack, but Oh, uh, it's probably I know who it is. Anyways, I won't spoil it. Rigby, I will give you credit because you are on my trail. You nailed pretty much everything minus the actual performer. So I'll start because JLo's facts are so insane. I will go through the other ones last. But JLo is actually the second person in uh, of all time to have a movie debut at number one and a single debut at number one at the same time. The first person to ever do it was Prince with Purple Rain and Purple Rain, both in 1984. Oh, yeah. Uh, J-Lo was the first actress ever, and that was with The Wedding Planner and Love Don't Cost a Thing in 2001. Shout out to Eminem, who did it a year later with 8 Mile and Lose Yourself. And then our boy, Ludacris. Too Fast, Too Furious, and Stand Up in 2003. So three straight years in a row. Oh, I should have known that. Well, then with uh, fact number two, has been nominated for Razzies for Worst Actress or Supporting Actress in nine roles, more than any other actress in the awards history, is true. She's only won once. The most Razzie wins total is Madonna with five. J-Lo was even nominated for Worst Actress of the Decade, (laughs) but lost out to Paris Hilton. (laughs) (laughs) And if I'm going to be honest, some of the things she was nominated for Razzies for... I don't think she deserves, but nine roles. They're The Wedding Planner, Angel Eyes, Enough, Made in Manhattan, Geely, Jersey Girl, Monster-in-Law, and What to Expect When You're Expecting. Oh, I lied. And then The Boy Next Door and Hustlers. And I honestly thought Hustlers was amazing. So I think the Razzies are just messing with J-Lo, but she's been nominated more than any other actress. And The Boy Next Door was reviewed well. That surprises me. But she also got a Razzie for Worst Screen Couple with Ben. Ever. Right. Yes. So I didn't even include like movies she was in that won Razzies or things like you mentioned, like Worst Couple uh, that have been nominated for Razzies. It was strictly roles because I don't, I think when that gets combined, I think like every movie that Madonna won for has also been nominated for a ton of awards as well, but it was only five roles. What I'm hearing, James, is uh, Jim Carrey, eat your heart out with your four Razzie noms, you bum. <laughs> Rookie. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I think the the leader behind J-Lo is Madonna and Bo Derek, if I remember correctly. And then uh, this story is bananas because I remember this in pop culture. Uh, Was the inspiration for the creation of Google Images? Mm -hmm. That is true. Yep. She famously wore that barely there green Versace dress to the Grammys in uh, the year 2000. And I remember everyone was going nuts because it was like, oh my God, how does it even stay on? She looks great. And the Grammy website, the images were downloaded off the Grammy website uh, 650,000 times in 24 hours. And then Google president admitted that the attention paid to that dress was the motivation to create Google image search. He said, we had had the idea for years, but we didn't know if it would, if it was actually beneficial. He's like, and then we realized people just wanted more than just text. And it didn't really become apparent until Jennifer Lopez wore that green dress that caught the world's attention. It was the most popular search at that time that we had ever had. That's awesome. That's the most famous dress in red carpet history, I would say. I, I, I agree. That and the uh, black one that Elizabeth Hurley wore. Right, with the safety pins. Yep. Yeah. The J-Lo's dress, it, it ended up in museums. Good job, James. That's awesome. Next time you use Google Images, just pay your respects to J-Lo. Right. Jenny from the block. She deserves it. Or went out from Jenny from the Bronx. You should get some residuals from that. <laughs> they should pay uh, off some, <laughs> some residuals. I, I, 
I don't think she needs any more money, but she could probably have a legal case. <laughs> oh, man. All right, Kate, tell us a little bit about her snapshot in box office history. Speaking about money, I'm going to start this one off a little bit differently. I was very surprised at how low JLo's numbers are compared to the other performers we've looked at. However, once you start putting a bunch of numbers into place and, and lining everything up and comparing it, it makes sense. For starters, let's just acknowledge that she's a giant star. And she's a household name in both big and small screen and music. That being said, though, I still think her numbers are shockingly low. First number that sticks out is nearly a third of her movies have lost money. And I mean a lot of money. Yikes. Three of those movies are movies that we'll be reviewing later. Money Train, Blood and Wine, and Geely have all lost money. The second set of numbers that surprised me was how incredibly low her review numbers are. Not surprising, 40.3 average from critics, which ranks her 53 out of 55. Whoa. And then she has a 51.1% from fans, which comes in at 54th out of 55. I mean, I don't get why fan ranks of J-Lo would average so low. I mean... I have like a non-proven thesis on this. Let's hear it. I think because she is not a very likable person in her personal life and is like always in, whenever she is in the media, it's either like a toxic relationship or like these crazy stories about how poorly she treats like those people around her that like, you know, like her crew that helps. And I think because of that, like people, any kind of vulnerable, open, like way to pounce on her they take that opportunity. So like if a movie's okay and not great and it has like this huge budget, they're like, Oh, this movie sucks. And I like, cause I watched some of these movies that people said were terrible. I'm like, that's not terrible. Yeah. I didn't think she was bad in that. And the reviews are like, it's the worst thing I've ever seen. And I think it's, I think it's more of like a pop culture backlash than actual performance based. That's interesting. I think we could workshop that James. Maybe we can help her out. Cause this is going to drop the day that her new movie, marry me hits theaters. Oh, so, oh, talk about timing. like a perfect launch. I love it. I could not have planned it any better. Thank Laura for choosing Jennifer Lopez. Thank you very much. All the options. Yeah. So she's looking out. She's like a publicist, you know? She was in casting, so she gets the game. Yep. So if you put all of you know her box office performances together, when you put poor box office performance together with bad critic and fan ranking, you're going to rank pretty low. We've got a good little crossover here with Cameron Diaz, Jim Carrey, and Jennifer Lopez. Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz, The Mask, and Jim Carrey and Jennifer Lopez in the uh, mm-hmm. uh, in Loving Color, and J Lo and Cameron Diaz in Dating Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's all coming together. <laughs> and what to expect when you're expecting? They're both in that as well. Let's go. In my research, I found out that uh, J Lo and Cameron Diaz actually don't like each other, <laughs> and I assume it's because you're my at the time, boyfriend or fiance's ex, so you probably don't like each other. But J-Lo on Cameron Diaz, she referred to her as a lucky model who's been given a lot of opportunities. I just wish she would have done more with. She's beautiful and has a great presence, though. And in my best friend's wedding, I thought, when directed, she can be pretty good. That's some hater shit. <laughs> when directed, can be pretty good. It's the most savage thing she says that's, in that whole thing. That's a... Wow. Like, don't try to shit talk me. Like they clearly have some personal shit. For someone who's ranked 48th on the star meter, that's uh, that's saying a lot. 
48th total. Hey, how about, how about this? Jennifer Lopez, 23rd on Star Meter. Cameron Diaz, 24th. Oh, competing. <laughs> still competing to this day. Yes. <laughs> Let's dig into her world. There's, a, I mean, this woman has so much going on. The early days, she's born in the Bronx, as James had already mentioned. Her parents are from, born in Puerto Rico, so she's got the Puerto Rican background. Very Catholic upbringing. She's quite the athlete. In high school, she was a three-sport athlete and did theater. So uh, the, a real five-tool high school player, you might say. She was doing all the things. People thought she was going to be an elite sprinter. Mm-hmm. But yet, I've never seen her run in a movie. <laughs> no. She's absolutely an athlete, but yeah. an elite sprinter is shocked we haven't seen that skill. Yeah. Tom Cruise sprints in like every movie. Mm-hmm. You would think she'd be in a... Maybe she just hasn't been enough horror flicks where she's got to run from somebody. That's a good point. We'll get there. Um, she taught dance at the Boys and Girls Club in high school, which was pretty cool. So doing some philanthropic work. Um, she studied business for a semester in college, but then quickly dropped out and enrolled at the Manhattan Phil's Black Dance Studio at the age of 18. So for a moment, she was going in a different tra- trajectory and then uh, went decided I'm going to go get some of that training to uh, enter the world of entertainment. Um, and that kind of led her to her first role, very small role, in 1986, My Little Girl. She plays Myra, a role where you can, f- you can find that movie on YouTube, at least at the time of recording. It is available. Her first kind of big break was in 1989. She traveled with the Golden Musicals of Broadway. She spent five months touring Europe. And in some of the interviews that I read, she talked about how it helped her build some tough skin early on in the process, being away from home being on the road like that and, you know, performing almost every night that, that really tested her. And she's what, uh, probably 20 at the time. I mean, she's very young doing this type of work, but the early, the early days are kind of enriched with a few music video appearances, Richard Rogers and Samantha Fox in 90 and 91. But her first real big break was in, in living colors was one of the fly girls from 91 to 93. She was in 62 episodes of that show. Ooh. That's quite a bit. Yeah. That was access to a large, large audience through In Living Color. Well, towards the end, I mean, she ends up being in quite a few shots. That was a huge break for her. Lots of access to the entertainment world. Mm-hmm. It led her to TV movies like Nurses on the Line, The Crash of Flight 7. Played Rosie in 93. She was in nine episodes of Second Chances as Melinda from 93 to 94. 93, she also got featured in a Janet Jackson video. Oh. And she got a huge pop. The Way Love Goes. Yep, The Way Love Goes. That's right. There we go. And she was a backup dancer for Janet, too. Mm-hmm. At that point, you're a pretty successful dancer if you're on a syndicated TV show and you're traveling with one of the biggest superstars in the world. Yeah. If that was your goal, to do that work, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, you're very talented. That's the trajectory you want to be on to start doing your own thing. Taking some notes from Janet, too, so she could absolutely she could do her own thing when she gets older. Not a bad one. Mm-mm. South Central, 94, four episodes of that. A lot of recurring characters here at this part of her career. She starts to get on television. She's in Hotel Malibu as Melinda for six episodes. And then she got her first awards, Love, in 95's My Family. She played young Maria, and she got an, a nom from the Independent Spirit Awards. One of the things, Kyle, that I, I forgot to mention when you were talking about her first role in My Little Girl, 
Her parents were not very encouraging of her going into show business. Not because she wasn't talented, but because they decided that there's not a lot of Latino stars. And they were like, just get a trade. She fell in love with acting at My Little Girl and was determined to do it after. And like you talked about, those recurring roles, we're starting to see that. I read that her parents wanted her to play it safe. And that was certainly not the safe route to go in entertainment like that. Not at all. That's exactly right. It's hilarious when you think about it, like how concerned they were for her and how much she changed the game for Latin performers and actresses. It's it's really ironic. It's huge. But her first major role was in 95's Money Train. The third time our, our boys, Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson came together. And maybe James, who's going to do this review, will tell us what the other roles were that they were together in. I know off the top of my head is White Men Can't Jump, which is a classic, but I do not know the other role. I just learned it today. It's from 1986. It has Goldie Hawn, and it's a sports movie. Oh, is it Wildcats? Oh, it's Wildcats. It is Wildcats. Yeah. I I knew Woody Harrelson was in it. I guess I didn't know that Wesley Snipes was in that. Things you learn in the IMDb trivia. But James, take it away. The production company wanted to see if they just put Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes together, if they could just shake some more money out of that friendship. In Money Train, they play two foster brothers, and they work as transit cops. And so while Wesley Snipes' life is as good as it gets, Woody's struggling because he has a gambling problem, very similar to the plot of White Man Can't Jump. Spoiler alert for that movie. Jennifer Lopez plays Grace Santiago, which was a role that originally was auditioned for by Cameron Diaz and Catherine Zeta-Jones. Man! That rivalry started young, if I had to guess. They both auditioned, but it ultimately went to J-Lo, and my guess is probably for budgeting reasons, since both of those actresses were already kind of famous at the time and making a name for themselves, and this movie was famously well over budget already. Mm-hmm. I read that Catherine's, I think they offered it to Catherine, but she didn't want to do nudity. There's a couple nipple shots of J-Lo. The nudity in it, though, in this is like... Minimal. It's so. It's mostly just watch Wesley Snipes flex. His back. Yeah. <laughs> it's just his yes. back muscles. It's, isn't Wesley Snipes ripped, and then there's J-Lo on the other side. Like, you don't really see any nudity, so my guess is she said it was nudity, but... It, it had to have been a contract dispute because this movie spent all of its money getting Woody and Wesley in it and then building the largest set at the time in production history. Uh, they built a fake subway system that was twice the size of the Empire State Building to do the final scene. So, Case, when you were mentioning that this movie didn't make a lot of money, my guess is because it spent so much money thinking it was going to be huge. But for a reason I'll get to in a little bit, it was a disaster at the box office. Yeah. So Woody Harrelson in this, he loses his job, kind of gets excommunicated by his brother, and he gets the crap kicked out of him by a loan shark. Because of this, he implements this plan to steal the quote-unquote money train, which is a train that carries New York week, uh, New York Subway's weekly revenue. And it's actually a real thing. It stopped being a real thing in 2006. So at the time when this movie came out, that is an actual thing. Uh, I review this movie as, it's like a generic action buddy comedy that isn't good, but it also isn't bad because like there's clearly a chemistry between Woody and Wesley that they have with one another. Agreed. I'd rate it kind of like, just under 50%, so maybe like a 45, where like there's some great one-liners. You get to see Wesley beat people up in cool ways like he's known to do. Woody is charming and funny, and J-Lo actually kind of holds her own in a first role with these two powerhouses. And she plays like 
the eye candy who kind of takes her job more seriously than the other two do. And Chris Cooper plays a terrorist who sets Tollbooth employees on fire, which is like a random subplot of this movie. <laughs> and that is actually why this movie tanked in the box office, because two days after the film opened, two men poured gasoline over a ticket booth employee in Brooklyn wow. and set the man on fire and he died. And then Senator running for <laughs> the Republican nominee for president by the name of Bob Dole condemned this movie on the Senate floor. Wow. So once that happens, uh, you're kind of shot. <laughs> what a fact. That's crazy. Yeah. This movie had a $68 million budget and it's her fifth largest budgeted film. Interesting. Wow. I liked her in this role. I, you know, again, I, I think it's I agree. early on, but I thought she she had a lot of feistiness to her. I like the boxing scenes. And she was also interviewed about saying this was like one of her first big real love scenes and that Wesley took it a little bit too far. Um, and I, I did work on Blade and I can tell you, you know, that I believe her, you know, so seeing <laughs> what I've seen. But she actually asked around and got what they call a love pillow to put between them when they were filming because, you know, and he would not let up, she said. He kept, like, asking her out and trying to kiss her, like, off screen. And Damn. So I feel bad wow. for her. But yeah, when it's your first, like, scene like that, people, people try to pull anything over you. That's crazy. A little fun fact. Do you guys know which movie we've covered on the podcast used that set? for some of its own shots. I do. Pelham 123. Nope. Very maligned movie with Gabriel Byrne. Oh, I was going to say Matthew Broderick, but End of uh, Days? I think it no, I think it was lowest critic score. Stigmata? Stigmata, yeah. Interesting. Uh, part of the That's what I read. We have one movie in between our next review and that is 96's Jack where she played Miss Marquez, the teacher for Robin Williams's character. For First and second roles, those are huge actors that you're going up with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's extremely pleasant as the teacher. Yeah, I agree. Exactly what they needed. Very sweet. I didn't realize that this movie was, until this podcast, was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't either. I found that to be very interesting, yeah. Yeah. It's got your girl uh, Diane Lane in it, right, Kyle? Ah, she's fire. And it's got like half the cast of the Little Giants is playing the kids, too. (laughs) (laughs) But let's talk about 1996's largest credit gap and Case has it in its Blood and Wine. To tag the last movie and carry on that trend, you can add Jack Nicholson to her list of actors that she's working with. And she has a lot of scenes with Jack Nicholson in this movie, so it's it's legit. She does not have a lot of scenes with Michael Caine, so I'm not going to throw him into that mix yet. I'll sum up the viewing experience of this movie like this. If you've ever sat watching your young niece or nephew play youth sports for an entire day and having to act interested while your soul is being sucked from your body, (laughs) that's blood and wine. Not a big fan. Here's the plot. It's a jewelry heist, and there are really bad guys, sort of bad guys, sort of good guys, and I think good guys, but I'm not 100% sure on the last one. It's our highest critic gap. 61% of the critics liked it, while only 35% of the fans enjoyed it. For the first time ever, I disagree with both of them. I would not have given this a 35. The strength of this movie is clearly Jack Nicholson. You know, this is 1996, and him and Michael Caine are, I mean, they have a spell over Hollywood. 
I've liked him in almost everything I've seen. So, and, and he's no different in this movie. As for J-Lo, it's not one of her better performances. I've heard her talk about this. For some reason, she plays a lot of roles that have a, a different Latin descent than hers. <laughs> and therefore, the accent is always a little bit off. In this particular movie, she is supposed to be a Cuban maid. During the movie, you hear changing of accents from a Cuban accent to New York accent, Puerto Rican accent. And they're just always shifting. And there's probably others in there I just didn't even pick up on. She's not a major role. I mean, she's a major part of the story, but she doesn't have as much screen time as Nicholson, Michael Caine, and Stephen Dorff. I wasn't a big fan of the movie. We can move on, and <laughs> I just think we can invest our time in other interesting JLo projects like her cell company, Viva Moville. You guys know what Viva Mobile is? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> she she tried to start a cellular telephone company as an offshoot of Verizon. <laughs> and it, I think it lasted 18 months. Wow. I mean, she's such a successful businesswoman that, you know, not every idea is going to be a home run. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second Craig and, and say that this movie's pretty forgetful. <laughs> I don't dislike it as much as you do, but it's not, it's not great. No. Nicholson's good in it. Steven Dorff is awful. Don't really know like why he would be cast in this. Michael Caine's character has like lung cancer in it. So literally the whole movie, he's like coughing up blood. It's like disgusting. Convincing though. He's good at it. Yeah, but his character was obnoxious. Mm-hmm. I grew really tired of him. One of the trends that I have seen in her career, she's not afraid to take big roles. Speaking of the next one. I do like her confidence and her ambition in taking some of these roles with these massive actors and actresses and and i think it's commendable well speaking of those big roles you talked about in 97 she played selena in selena a a role that got her a golden globe nom and made her the first latin actress to earn over a million dollars for a role big time she also credits this role with igniting her passion for music yep okay so i did i did audition for selena i will tell you that but so did million of women they this they had this i don't know if you guys knew or remembered this but it was like a big publicity stunt they had all the women like line up and audition for selena they did the same thing with frida with uh, selma hayek and you know had all these people hoping but in the end they had j-lo set up way ahead of time so it was all publicity. So cool, though. That's awesome. But it was fun. It was fun. Yeah. But yeah, she, I think she did an amazing job, yep. you know, especially with all that lip syncing. It, it must have been hard to get it just right. And there were so th- those fans are so critical, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because she is really a saint to them. So yeah. I thought she did a really good job. That was one of my favorite roles that she did. I like movies like this because what an important figure in music history and a lot of times these stories aren't told until to tell this tragic tale is really important. It was a good role for uh, Jennifer Lopez to pull off and, and do well. And I think she did. Yeah, I was just going to say, I like, obviously, Selena died under tragic circumstances. But I, I, I like the way that they handled that in the movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of films like that could screw that up and, and not mm-hmm. do it in a good way. And I thought that, the, that, I thought that they did. The movie wasn't about... It was a celebration of her life. It wasn't yeah. Uh, yeah. A, an, an expose on her death, right? Like that's a minor part of it at the end, but to the point where they don't even show her death. It's like it's very, a, it, yeah. It's a celebration of her family and the impact that she made on Latin America, which I yeah. thought was really well done. I watched this movie for the first time for the pod, and all I knew about Selena was the ending. All I knew was the tragic story. And so when I turned the movie on, I was kind of caught off guard because it's mostly a 
really positive kind of it has a made for TV movie feel to it, but that's just because of, you know, how quick and the rise to uh, stardom was for Selena. And it's more of like a biography of her. And then it's a two hour move to a little over two hours. And they only spend a total of five minutes on her death. Yeah. And so it's mostly just this wildly positive and inspiring story. And sometimes you can critique those, but, but when it's a true story, you can't critique it. It, it. That is the story. And what a cool thing for a performer to be able to portray one of their heroes and idols, mm-hmm. especially this young in her career. And it looks so much like her, too. I mean, she's mm-hmm. remarkably similar in terms of appearance. Really cool. And then she goes from Selena to Anaconda as Terry, 97. Speaking of John Voight from earlier. Yes. And this is her first of two movies with John Voight. Oh, I got Anaconda is so much. It's so much fun. Yeah, it, it's just stupid fun. It's like why you go to the movies. It's literally just to like <laughs> be told a ridiculous story that's like great cameos and, and halfway decent actors. And yeah, it's, it's Anaconda's a great, great watch in my, in my eyes. I love how the whole plot is like there's a guy who says snakes eat people. That's not what happens. Let's check it out. <laughs> snakes don't eat people. <laughs> Anaconda's part of the like 90s creature feature starter pack with Deep Blue Sea yep. and Lake Placid. Uh, Lake Placid. <laughs> and I love all of them for very different reasons. I agree. Does she get eaten in this or is she like the last girl? I don't remember. No, she, yeah, she lives at she the survives. end. Her and Ice Cube. Ice Cube, that's right. John Boy gets eaten for a minute, right? <laughs> He gets like half swallowed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I always remember the Owen Wilson scene because Owen Wilson gets eaten and then they show the anaconda underwater and you can see Owen Wilson's like body in the skin of the snake. It's like so creepy. But yeah, that's this is a good movie and she great performance by her. Memorable. She's top build in this movie. She's number one? Yeah. Over JV? That's great. Yeah. It's J-Lo, Ice Cube, John Voight, Eric Stoltz. Same year. She's in U-Turn. An Oliver Stone movie with Sean Penn, Nick Nolte, Billy Bob Thornton, Claire Danes, Joaquin Phoenix, a very star-studded cast. And her second movie with John Voight. John Voight plays the blind man in this movie. Oh, that's right. He's like the blind um, (laughs) veteran that has the dead dog that he's carrying around with him everywhere. Uh What a bizarre movie. Uh Yeah, and this is like when Oliver Stone was still, he had just done Natural Born Killers, and he was still like you see it. You see you see his movies. They they can definitely attract some star power for sure. So for her to be for her to be in this was a big deal. It's not the best movie. I wouldn't even go so far as it's a good movie. It's watchable, no. but you know it's it's nothing to write home about. Her sex appeal plays a big role in this, and I noticed even from like you look at the the posters, the stills. It's her in that like yep. pink dress where she's sitting on top of the table. Mm-hmm. I I, don't, I doubt this movie passes the Bechdel test. You know what I'm saying? No way. <laughs> I don't think she was brought on for character development in that particular role. It was more of a, let's get all these dudes in here and let them drive a plot oh, with my weird-ass editing techniques. How about Out of Sight, 1998, alongside Clooney in a, a movie that I reviewed for the Luis Guzman episode, a movie widely considered the sexiest movie ever made with her and Clooney because they they have some very steamy chemistry in this movie. She plays a law enforcement officer who's falls for Clooney, who is a dirty criminal. This is probably my most enjoyable movie that she's, that she's been in throughout her career. It's a really fun Soderbergh film. And I think people sometimes forget it's Soderbergh too. Did really well in the box office for sure. 
Yes, it did. I mean, Clooney's on top of his game here. So the, those two together, it's it's yeah. it's a fun it's a fun duo to watch. And the famous scene where they're like in the trunk for yep. you know like three hours. That's like yeah, that's awesome. Ninety eight. She does ants. Goes to the animated side. Plays a supporting character named Azteca, which I had totally forgotten she played a character in that movie. But that's because I think that movie gets out overshadowed by the bug a bug's life all the time. Mm-hmm. People hate on ants unnecessarily because of it. This would have been her largest critic gap if she had a larger role in it exactly 92 percent of critics 52 percent of audience 40 point gap huge so what's really interesting about j-lo and craig and i were talking about about this before we went on is that i think a lot of times we think of j-lo as a musician first actor second yeah you gotta remind yourself that she was an actor well before she got into music. So her debut album came out in '99 called On the Six, and she started dating Puff Daddy, aka Diddy, aka P Diddy, or aka whatever name he was going by at the time. But Sean John, yeah, whatever you want to go, whatever his brand was. But she released her first album right before the Millennium in '99, and there were some bangers on that puppy. Are you guys J Lo music fans? She was a pop song phenomenon so like even if you weren't a fan like her music's playing any dance you're going to anything like that on the radio all the time yeah and what's funny is i remember she was interviewed in chicago and the interviewer was kind of being a jerk to her because she was like i'm so excited i'm gonna have an album coming out and all he wanted to talk to her about was the acting and he was like, really, really? Does it ever work out for actors? It doesn't, <laughs> you know? And he was like, he was, he was like really mean to her. And she was, she held her ground and she was like, no, I'm going to be, you know, a musician and an actor. Wow. Yeah. Look at her now. So I like some of her songs. Yeah. I think I like Get Loud the best. Like, I, I guess I knew that she sang them, but I, I took this podcast for me to remember that she sang them. Like, Love Don't Cost a Thing. Love Don't Cost a Thing was huge. Yeah, I mean, that's like, everyone knows, like, the, not the lyrics, but they know how that song goes. Like, whether you're humming it to yourself or something, but. Her and Ja Rule, I'm real. Mm-hmm. Yep. You, I mean, if you had my love. Waiting for Tonight. Waiting for Tonight is my banger of all bangers from J-Lo. I love that song. Mm -hmm. Because this was the TRL days, remember? Yep. And like her songs were high up on that list every day. So, you know, people our age were watching TRL every day, seeing her music right at the forefront of pop music. And she was killing it. I mean, and she definitely rode that wave of her success on screen. I don't think she's an amazing singer comparatively when to some other performers if you want to compare her and madonna who's won more razzies than her i would say j-lo's a better actor but madonna's a better singer right but they still made a shit ton of money so i think they both win at the end of the day yeah she was determined to be an elite dancer she became an elite dancer she was determined to become an actress she becomes an actress and now she's determined to be a singer and i mean without a doubt she's she's an icon in in the music industry it's Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. Take some talent to do that. Yeah, plus work ethic. Talent, perseverance, and luck, right? There's a little bit of that, too. So 2000, her next role, right off releasing that first album, was in The Cell. She played a character named Catherine. I've never seen The Cell. It looks really intriguing from the, the... the arts and things like that. I remember it got pretty bad reviews, if I'm not mistaken. 45 critic, 57 audience. Oh. I remember it being kind of a sci-fi, kind of kind of a little bit of a mind bender. If I remember right, Vince Vaughn was in it. 
Yeah. I just don't know that it came out at the right time for those guys. I do remember it, and I remember liking it. It just didn't do great. Based on what I saw, it looked just... In terms of genre of film she does, it looked very different from a lot of the other stuff that she's done. Definitely. She released her second album in 01, J-Lo. This is where she's wearing the green dress at the Grammys, and she is becoming one of the most recognizable people on the planet. So much so that Google had to change their whole business model. (laughs) Her fame at this time changed the internet forever. That's wild. The Willennium is in her world. She's not in the Willennium's world. Yeah, for sure. You do know that her and Will Smith were working up a script to do A Star is Born before it went to Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I did not know that. Oh, that would have been a cool little twist on that. Your Willennium fix there, Kyle. The day we can cover Will Smith, I'm just going to be so happy I can finally connect the dots. Can't wait. It's going to be great. Talk about a movie star, movie stars. But then she gets a Razzie nom in 2001 for her role in Angel Eyes, a movie I watched that I thoroughly hated. The movie is just a Razzie incarnate, to be completely honest. I give it like a two. It's pretty awful. So don't go watch it. Razzie by association. I think I got this this confused with The Cell. This is the one that got terrible critic reviews, if I'm not... No, the, the, they both did. They both did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this one's pretty rough. It's got one point less on the Metascore side, comparatively, but... 32.45. It's, it's pretty unremarkable, mm-hmm. so don't go check it out. But the same year, she did The Wedding Planner with Matthew McConaughey, another Razzie nom. And this was to uh, James's point. This is when she had released the number one album and number one film in the same week. And I think her Razzie nom, as well as its ratings, which were rated worse than the last two movies you mentioned, are completely unfounded. I thought she was she was fine in this, does not deserve to be nominated for the worst actress. And this movie has a 17% from critics. It's not a 17 at all. You know, maybe is it a little unoriginal? Yes. Are some of the jokes not land? Yes, but it's not a 17. I think the audience is closer, like around a 6 out of 10, where it's like, it's fine and it's light and it's a nothing rom-com. And I think she does fine in it. What is a critic expecting out of this movie with J-Lo and Matthew McConaughey in a rom-com? I don't get that. I don't get why you (laughs) pound on this movie. A lot of critics, they hold movies to a standard of doing something original when not every movie needs to change how film is done. I agree. Yeah. I'm reading the reviews right now. The blandness of the wedding planner burlap sacks their appeal in an altogether dowdy outing. This is like... like, No, it's too much. It's just like word soup. Yeah. It's not that deep, man. You don't need to do this shit. Okay, you guys had your theory about, you know, people not liking her in her personal life. I don't, I don't, I don't follow that, but I do think there's some jealousy. Was that a female critic? Ooh, interesting. I do think there are a lot of uh, females. That's a good theory, too. That was. Who are, yeah. Kimberly Jones. They're like, she's beautiful. She's this fashion icon, but her acting is, eh. Yeah. You know, it's, it's right. good, but it's not great. That's fascinating. People dunking on her. So that's my take on it. It's the it's the catty cattiness. Oh, now let me look at this list. There, so how many female critics? I'm gonna add a layer to you. Two layers. I think this is a Venn diagram. We have female critics, and we have people that hate her personally. And the area where they overlap is that's the area where people are living the most. <laughs> yeah, and I think it this this movie kind of launched her romantic comedy. Yep, which she still is into this day. Like this is. As you'll see with Made in Manhattan, you know. Oh, wow. 
Good call, Rigby. She's kind of like the Julia Roberts of the 2000s, you know, the early 2000s. And here's another movie where J-Lo's playing a different ethnicity than she has for no reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. When you brought that up, I didn't mention that during Selena, there was like backlash because she wasn't Mexican-American. Yep. Because she's mostly Puerto Rican. Yeah. Before our our next review, the, the other musical update I'll give is that she released J to the L-O, the remixes, which be, became in 02, the first remix album to ever debut at number one. Oh. Back-to-back number one albums, yeah. Just another thing, you know, changing the game up. But the largest audience gap is 2002's Enough, another Razzie-nominated performance, and it's my review, so I'll talk a little bit about it. In terms of audience gap, so the number breakdown on Rotten Tomatoes, it's 67 for the audiences, a 22 for the critics, and pretty similar in IMDb, it's 5.8 25. The director of the movie is Michael Apted, who I didn't know much of his stuff, but I realized he directed a movie that I watched in film class in college called Thunderheart that I really liked. Ooh, yeah. And so it was interesting to contrast Thunderheart, a movie that I love, to enough, a movie that I don't love. Was that Val Kilmer? Val Kilmer, yeah. But I also read that he was originally very worried about working with J-Lo because he had heard she was a diva on set, as we've talked about. And based on what I read, he reported back that she was very pleasant, didn't run into any major issues with her on set. Um, I think that aids a little bit of the the legend that's been following her up to this point that isn't necessarily always accurate. But why I don't like this movie very much, Her char- it's mostly the way her character's written. Um, she is a waitress who meets a guy who gets who scams her at the restaurant. They get married. He pulls up to some dude's house and buys it off him like straight cash above market, which is egregious. He immediately wants a baby when they get married. It's like the first thing he says during their dance. Like, hey, when are you going to have kids for me? Like, that's what you're here for. You are the vessel of my seed. Let's start delivering. That's pretty much how it came off. Kaifel's gross sentence is actually very accurate to description of this movie. (laughs) But then right after she has a kid, well, right after they get married, he starts sneaking around on her with other women. You know, typical. When she catches him cheating, he beats her and challenges her to a fight. When her friend, Juliette Lewis, is like, you should go to the cops. The sentiment is, he beats me and cheats on me, but I can't put the father of my child in jail. Which is, you know. So this movie's like trying to make a point about domestic violence. And it's a point that needs to be made about women getting stuck in these really toxic relationships. But I just don't think the execution is done very well. And J-Lo constantly calls her daughter toots which distracted the hell out of me the whole movie too. Cause I, I'm not used to someone calling their kid toots. It's usually like a creepy guy calling somebody toots <laughs> yeah, when they're uninvited. Clint Eastwood in 1980s movies. So that was off. And then the little girl uh, gave herself a fake name of Queen Elizabeth, which was something. But the really interesting thing about this movie is it's apparently remarkably similar to 1991 Sleeping with the Enemy. I've never seen it with Julia yeah. Roberts. But sounds like it. Based on the description, it sounds almost identical. Sleeping with the Enemy is much better. Oh, yeah. The whole movie like culminates with she has this fight, but like literally learns Krav Maga for five seconds. And then all of a sudden is like this expert Krav Maga fighter and takes him out effortlessly in like a spy-like situation with phone jammers and all sorts of stuff. That's that build. There's never enough build up to like pay that off. Well, at the, at the end of the movie, which sucks because it's about a really serious topic and it just never felt like it did it justice, unfortunately. So wasn't a big fan of the movie. Did she earn her Razzie nom? I don't know. I mean, she's certainly not 
spectacular in it, but I think it's more of an issue with the writing. I agree. And the screenplay than anything with her. When I watched it, I have very similar feelings as you. I felt like if if this was a TV show and it might have been better because as a movie, it, it was very long. It goes from the moment they meet until the guy's death. And like, they don't really skip over too many parts of their relationship. And I think the like creepy calculated stalker husband is a very cool kind of concept. Like the show you on Netflix, I find very fascinating, but like, it was just like, Oh my God, this movie's still on. Like just do the training montage and kill the guy already. I know what's going to happen. Just do it. That's how it's marketed to you. You think like, yeah, there's going to be a half an hour to 45 minutes of her preparing for this interaction, but it's this much of the movie. Oh, it's the, it's the climax, right? And it's a two and a half hour movie. Like if you're going to make it about her beating the shit out of her husband at the end of the movie, I'm game. I'm with it, but you got to, the, most of the movie is her just running from him and trying to hide her identity the entire time. And then all of a sudden she turns into a Krav Maga expert. It's just not earned. Sounds like we're, we're seeing some physicality from her. Does her athleticism show up in this movie or does she look unnatural? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Pretty much the entire fight scene. She's very cra- like Krav Maga. Her hands are here in front of her. Yeah. It's a lot of like use his momentum against him. To hurt himself. Okay. So you see a little bit, but we're not talking like too much physicality at the end. More than her rom coms, I'll say that. I still want to see her sprinting. I want to see the 40 time. I do. You don't get that. Unless you count sprinting from her toxic husband, then yes, that she spends the whole movie doing that. Yeah, she does yeah, the whole movie's that. So that's enough. And we've had enough of that, so we'll move on. There we go. Before the the review that most people are probably listening for, because everybody wants to get to that eventually, the other role will will note in between is her role as marissa in made in manhattan another razzie nom also alongside our boy stanley tucci the tooch again a movie that i think is better than people give it credit for like agreed i didn't realize this was a john hughes movie oh is it really yeah i didn't know that either he was the writer on this i didn't know that either craig let's just get to julie buddy because i have some thoughts let's go all right let's get it so lowest critic score uh, is 2003's Gigli, and this got her a, her Razzie win and two other noms for Razzies, so just full of it. And this is obviously a legendary movie for not great reasons, so Rigby, let's talk about it. Yeah, this is one of the most famous, like, well-achieving movies in, his, in Razzie history. Not movie history, sorry. Sorry for those who are looking for, for movie history. Razzie history, <laughs> as we're just <laughs> Not to disrespect the Golden Raspberry Awards. I feel like we've all heard of this movie. We may not have seen it. We don't even know what it's about. I was included in that camp. Yep. I didn't... I, I honestly, leading up until two days ago when I first watched it, I thought Geely was the name of her character in the movie. I didn't know that it was Ben Affleck's character. So that just shows how much I knew about this. I just had known it was historically bad. And it ruined the, the career of a pretty respectable director in Martin Brest, who made 80s movies such as Midnight Run, Beverly Hills Cop, and and Scent of a Woman. So the film stars Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, Justin Bartha, Al Pacino, and Christopher Walken. In the film, Ben Affleck plays a low-level mobster who is tasked by a high-ranking mafia member with kidnapping the mentally challenged brother of a federal prosecutor in order to keep that mafia boss from going to prison. When Affleck's character, whose name is Larry Geely, and we know that because he says it about 15 times in the movie. When, when he is feared to have messed up the operation, the organization sends in Ricky, played by Jennifer Lopez, to help out. 
Ricky is a lesbian, but that hasn't stopped Ben Affleck in movies before. So you guessed it. You know how the movie turns out. The two develop a relationship and the movie plays out exactly how you'd think. This is interesting because Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez, were they engaged at the time or were they just romantically involved? I think I want to say they were engaged. They eventually got engaged, but I'm not sure the timeline. I think this movie maybe like ruined their engagement. Are you talking about Benifer? Benifer. They began dating in 02 and got engaged. Okay, so yes. In 02. They postponed their wedding in September 03 and officially split in 04. This is when J-Lo and Ben Affleck were, this is the start of Benifer, and this is where they were first engaged. So Benifer. So the big point of the movie is that these two characters are supposed to have this really sexy romantic chemistry and there is absolutely none of it. (laughs) The characters in this movie are totally lifeless and 18 years after it was made, I'm sure all of the cast has regrets about their performances, especially Justin Bartha who plays the mentally challenged brother in the role. It's It's his first role ever. Was it really? It's his first role. It's really hard to watch. It's insulting. (laughs) They were obviously inspired by Rain Man in it, but in order for Rain Man's character to work, you have to have some sympathy for him and actually like him, and that you just don't like him in this movie. It it just comes off as really, really bad. He recovers with his next big role in National Treasures. Yes, I agree. So I'll give him credit. He went from a role that I fucking hated to a role that I love. And good for him, because this, this... that was a, a hard one to swallow, I think. The movie is currently a 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. I will say it's not the worst movie ever made, as some people will call it out to be, but it's pretty bad. It's a mobster movie with no action, a comedy with no funny moments, and a romance movie with no chemistry between the two. <laughs> the two main That's actors. a great tagline. They should have used that. It would have got better than 6%. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think it's funny because, you know, they, like I said, they were romantically involved at the time. And this is when they were, you know, they were on page six and and Us Weekly and People and they were together in every picture. But when it comes to actually making a movie together, this one couldn't have gone worse for the two. It's also way too long. It's two hours long, which is just kind of like Sin of a Woman, which is another Martin Brest movie. It just goes on forever. And it's like time kind of stands still during it. It feels like that's really all I'll say about it. It's it's not good. It's on HBO Max if you're really keen on, on checking it out. But I'm glad this was free because I would have had a really hard time justifying <laughs> paying $4.99 to rent it on iTunes. So it's the third, I think it's the third worst movie that I've had to review. Yeah. Two being Speed 2 and one being that Jim Carrey Dark Crimes movie that I couldn't even finish. It was so bad. But this is, it's bad. I mean, it's, it's really, it was well deserved of its eight or nine Razzies that it won. It's legendarily bad, right? In the movie world. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't even mentioned the box office yet. So this movie stunningly cost $75 million to make. I don't know how. I guess they had to pay Walken and Pacino a lot to be in it and Lopez and Affleck because there's no there's no action. There's no, like, it's like, where does the budget come from? 40% of it is in their apartment. Yeah, right. Like half the movie is in an apartment. 90% of that huge budget comes from what they paid the actors probably. Yeah. And it only made $6 million, So $75 million to make and I think $6 million return at the box office. So... Not only was it a critical bomb, it was a box office bomb. And again, it's it's one of those that like I feel like Geely is like shorthand almost for like what people think of like a box office bomb. Like you don't yeah. want it to be Geely basically, which it's synonymous. Yeah. Right. It's not as funny as the room, but no. it's it's almost <laughs> <laughs> 
it it could use a resurgence where, but at, at the end of the day, you no. can't laugh at Justin Barthes' character and feel like a good person. No, you know what I mean. And that's the thing. Like there are movies like The Room that are so bad that they're good, and this is not. Like I wish this could be one of them. I wish. Right. I wish like because I've seen movies like that where I'm like texting friends or texting somebody where it's like, Same. oh my god, this just happened. Like I can't believe that happened. Like. I'm actually starting to enjoy this movie for how bad it is. And, and Geely is not that. And people, I was reading some reviews. I was reading some somewhat positive reviews. None, none of the reviews were really positive, but some people are like, oh, the dialogue's witty. Like, I enjoyed this scene. It's like, how? Like, what the fuck? The dialogue is the worst part. The dialogue's the worst part of the movie. The only part of the dialogue I remember from J-Lo is when she's, like, doing yoga on on the floor and he's he, she's talking about why she doesn't like penises yeah and why vagina like that's the only piece of dialogue i remember for the entire movie and then i think the pressure you know for them to to they were like we have to prove we can do this as a couple right you know and and do it well and it just it completely folded and it was and she didn't recover i don't think Ooh. as well as he did you know after. definitely not definitely i think not. a lot of the blame was put on her and i don't know why the whole like lesbian thing, it's like I just rolled my eyes when that happened. Oh it's my like, god! A like it's it's like referring to chasing Amy in a way, but it's also just like really, this is what you're gonna do. Like we're gonna do this again. Rigby, the the point you just made. Uh, that's one of the scenes I'd like to perform for you. Oh no! All right, so imagine I am doing a cartoonish characterization, so much so that it's always insulting and no point realistic of someone who has autism or Tourette's because that's what Justin Bartha is doing. And imagine that J-Lo's ex-lover uh, just slit her wrists in front of this person. Looks like you need a Band-Aid. That is an actual line of dialogue and an actual scene. Yeah, it was very dark. <laughs> Another scene is J-Lo leaning back on the bed in her underwear, points at her vagina and says, it's turkey time. Ben Affleck responds, huh? And J-Lo goes, gobble, gobble. <laughs> and that is referring to oral sex. That is also an actual scene in this movie. The final scene is Justin Bartha again, who desperately needed someone to tell him not to do this movie or perform this role this way. <laughs> She's like the ones at Baywatch. They make my penis sneeze. When my penis sneezes, I say, God bless you. God bless you, penis. And then he proceeds to orgasm in his pants sitting next to Ben Affleck. That is a true scene in the word-for-word dialogue. Wow. Rigby, to your point about the budget, Benefer's combined salary was three times more than the world gross. Wow. <laughs> Oh, damn. Oh, it sounds like you guys didn't like it. <laughs> nah, it's bad, dude. Did it? Did it sound like that? My tone's off. Hey, on a positive Jennifer Lopez note, though, in 2001, she became the highest paid Latina actress of all time with a $9 million payday for a Wedding Planner. So obviously getting $12 million for this continues her trend of being at the time, the highest paid Latina actress. Her and Cameron Diaz, there's a reason there's a rivalry because they're both like the highest paid actresses mm -hmm. at this point. At the same time, and they probably run in the same circles because they end up dating the same guy at some they point. So like, they clearly know each other. Last thing I'll say, these are the, I'll just let me read off the Razzies that it won. Oh no. Worst picture, Check. worst actor, worst actress, Pacino, Walken, and... Lainey Kazan were nominated for Worst Supporting, and they were they didn't win, though. Worst Screen Couple, that won. Yep. Worst Director and Worst Screenplay. And last but not least, in February 2005, it was awarded 
the worst comedy in Golden Raspberry history, which goes back to, to wow, I think the eighties. So congratulations, twenty years or so of, of movies. Yeah, it so. sounds like an award-winning movie. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Just not the awards that you want to win, unfortunately. Okay, well let's let's keep it moving. Not a great start to the Willennium for for Benifer. They they're dating, and then I had totally forgotten. Right there's that famous South Park episode. Where with J Lo and taco flavored cases and that whole thing about Cartman giving Ben a handy in the limo. J Lo ends up being Cartman's hand, correct? Yes. Okay, but now I remember. A, yes, a different J Lo on her hand, and it's all about how much of a diva she is and yeah. the whole Benefer thing and. He just does like a, a smiley face on his hand. Essentially. <laughs> Remember, like South Park at the time, I mean, still huge, but really big at this moment in time in pop culture. Their movie had just came, yeah, their movie just came out around this time. So like, Not, I think 99 was when Bigger, Longer, and Uncut came out. Right? Yeah, so they're as, as center of pop culture as you could be. Mm-hmm. So this is how big the Benefer situation is. Quite a memorable episode. Trey's trolling of J-Lo goes back to her dress in the 2000... Oh, that's right. ...Grammys as well. He was messing with her a little bit after that. That's right. Her first of a few four appearances on Will and Grace in 2004. So between 04 and 2018, four different appearances on the show as herself. And then 04, she was in Jersey Girl as Gertrude, a role that I believe... I don't have it on here, but I believe she got another Razzie nom for this one. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, James. But she got really angry because apparently half of her role got cut from the movie. And let me tell you, I'm so thankful it did because her. this is probably some of her worst acting in the first 10 minutes of this movie. It's truly hard to watch. But the movie, I didn't hate. It's Kevin Smith picture. It's absurd. It ends with a musical number from Sweeney Todd <laughs> at a child's musical. <laughs> but... <laughs> It's it got much better when her character left the picture. I will say that I've never been so happy to watch a character die off in ten minutes in. I wonder if she was supposed to be in more of the movie, but backed out so she could do the next two movies. Maybe they were filming at the same time, and so she got out of it because it seems weird that Kevin Smith would have such a big star that was only in ten minutes. I read that she was angry that her her character got cut. So I'm guessing. Oh yeah. They she'd film more and he probably it was either probably acting or the story he wanted to tell and he went in a different direction. Kevin Smith got scared that people were gonna have PTSD from Geely and they were like, We gotta we gotta get her out of there as soon as possible. Probably. That's fair. It, it doesn't have great ratings, but it's George Carlin's last movie too. Yeah. Oh, yep. it is. So because I think he died in two thousand five. He was fun in it. Affleck has some good banter with his daughter in the movie. J Lo's just terrible. And Holy moly, I'm so glad she disappeared. Great call, Kevin Smith. Probably shouldn't have cast her in the first place, but you do the best with what you can once you got somebody under contract. Oh, four. I mean, what a busy year for her with Will and Grace, Jersey Girl, uh, Shall We Dance, a movie we covered on the Stanley Tucci episode. Her and Richard Gere. Very charming, very fun Stanley Tucci character. It's a fun movie. It's underappreciated, and it's fun. I agree. This is her most successful film in the international box office outside of the animated stuff she's done. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, there's a lot of salsa and a lot of Latin dancing going on in the movie, so it has a lot of international appeal. Oh, it did really well in the box office, man. Yeah. $50 million budget, $170 million world gross. 
It's a it's a good movie. It's on HBO. I I recommend it, and it's a lot of really fun characters. And she she's a perfect cast for what they're looking for. Outside of Selena, is this the first movie she's dancing in? Yeah, that's crazy considering she's an elite dancer. She's dancing on her grave of a movie career in Geely. <laughs> Man, you have PTSD from that movie. I do. Yeah. Now that I'm now that I'm reassessing it, maybe it is the worst movie I've seen. On this <laughs> it's bad. You, it took me reading the dialogue back to you for you to realize. Yeah. 2005, Monster in Law. She played Charlie, another Razzie nom, just stocking up here. Another one not deserved. I watched a movie and Jane Fonda steals every scene she's in. She's great. Mm-hmm. And JLo's okay. I'd say she's completely outshined by Jane Fonda, but like she's not terrible. And the movie's not terrible. I think this is like the pop culture backlash again, where it's she's the most famous person in the world, and so we're kind of tired of her. So if she's not great, let's just dunk on her. 2007. I'm terrible at pronouncing Spanish. So unless someone else wants to take this on the show notes, I'm just going to say she released an album that was the highest first week sales for a debut Spanish album in the U.S. in 2007. So just setting records with everything she does, no matter the language of what type of music she's putting out. Did you not have El Cantante or the singer on the list? I didn't. She produced this movie, and it's with Mark Anthony. She said in multiple articles that she thought this is her film that gets most often overlooked, that she wished people would pay attention to or go rewatch. And she produced this as well. It might be her first producing credit how ironic that i skipped over in the show now. <laughs> you're proud you're part of the problem man you're one of the haters yeah you are i'm the worst this is her first producer credit as a movie so i do think that's pretty important yeah and it, it might be where you know her and mark anthony connected yeah she sounded very passionate and and proud of this project mm-hmm. i wish i could have found it and gone back and watched it for this episode the first of many lots and lots of producer credits so that's important mm-hmm. Oh seven, she's in Border Town with Banderas, and so like right now we just went from oh five, we jumped to oh seven. Now we're jumping to twenty tens, How I Met Your Mother. She appears as herself in that. So not a lot of film and TV work happening during this time, but still very busy in the entertainment world. And then to James's point earlier, she got a Razzie nom for Worst Actress of the Decade in twenty ten. So really capped it off. Only a few actors reach that pinnacle, so should be proud of that. Well, let's be honest, J-Lo, there's not an easier target no. yeah. for people to hate on. When you've got Gigli in that decade, right, like it's it's hard. That's going to take you to the top no matter what else you do the rest of that decade. She was the most famous person in the world. Like People, people have very strong opinions about Kim Kardashian right now, and it's mostly because you just see her all the time. And so it's just like it's forced down your throat, and eventually... Yeah. People just get bored or annoyed. And that's what was happening to J-Lo, where it was like, all right, so when I turn on the radio, it's Jennifer Lopez. When I watch TV, it's Jennifer Lopez. On the movies, it's Jennifer Lopez. And then you're like, she's not that good of an actor. I'm going to crush her there. That's what. That's where I'm, I'm done. I'm done with it. Especially the female critics, right, Laura? I like your theory. So at the end of the two 2010s, are, she's just not very busy. And I think a lot of that is these Razzie performances, everybody piling on. She credits the thing that kind of brought her career back to prominence was her becoming an American Idol judge in 2011. Oh, yeah. That brought her back into the limelight. People started to pay attention to her again. And like anything else, time heals, right? So if you take a few years off, you stay out of the limelight and you come back, people forget about those things and they're more likely to kind of give you a run. She didn't do anything terrible. It's not like she 
you know, hurt people or did anything terrible or anything like that. She just made some bad movies along the way and maybe not had some great performances. So people will forget that over time. And they were throwing 20 mil a season at her to do American Idol. I mean, come on. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, sign me up. They're not throwing money at somebody that's not popular, right? I mean, she's she's massive. <sighs> nope. So 2012, she does What to Expect When You're Expecting, um, alongside Cameron Diaz, another Razzie nom. <laughs> of the four main female characters, I think hers is the one that is the most forgettable. You know, we talk about like Anna Kendrick, her like abortion story, Cameron Diaz, obviously at the forefront of hers. And then, oh, um, Elizabeth Banks. She's just kind of like the, she's basically like the fourth build of the four main characters and it's pretty forgettable comparatively. And she got the Razzie nom, that's the backup. I, d- I don't know if any of the others got Razzie noms, but it might have just been piling on J-Lo at this moment. Yeah. She goes into the animated side again, this time in Ice Age, Continental Drift, which I believe was the fourth Ice Age film, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong on that front. She played Shira, or Shira, a pirate tiger who does some singing in the film, and I'm sure that I think that's the main reason they brought her into the Ice Age world, because they... There's, they brought in, there was a lot of singing in that fourth one. And they want to bring in some folks who knew how to sing. No, no, I'm sorry. That's the fourth because there was a short in between because of how, how much Ice Age con- content the world needed uh, called <laughs> No Time for Nuts. Okay. And then number three came out and then she was in the fourth and the fifth. 2012 in Forbes, they named her the most powerful celebrity in the world, which is pretty impressive. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's how big she was. I forgot to tell you guys this. In 2004, her mom won a million-dollar jackpot at a casino. (laughs) I forgot to tell you guys that. But the hilarious thing about it is her mom created a college fund for J-Lo's kids with that money. (laughs) It was like a $2.4 million from a slot machine, right? They said she's like a well-known gambler. I'm like, wow. That's thanks, cool. Grandma. I mean, <laughs> thanks for the thought, but you could just keep the money. You know? Like th- those kids are going to be fine. <laughs> I think they're going to be okay. Oh, yeah. 2013 is when J Lo launched her partnership with Verizon Mobile to launch a new cell phone company called Viva Mobile, which uh, catered exclusively to Spanish-speaking residents of the U.S. Admirable. Yeah. Sounds like it didn't work out very it, well. It did not, but that's she, okay. I'm not going to. Didn't she have like a clothing line at the time that was like crushing it though? She was doing like a bunch of different things. Everything. Yeah, she was all over the place. A few years in between the Forbes article and then her role in The Boy Next Door. So three years later, 2015. Same year, she's in Home, an animated picture. She does a character named Lucy, a little bit of singing, plays the mom character in that. Reprises her role in Ice Age Collision Course, the fifth one. And then she is in a role and produces the, the show Shades of Blue, plays a character named Harley, plays a corrupt cop alongside Ray Liotta. And I watched like three or four episodes of that. It wasn't bad. It was okay. I don't know if anybody else has seen Shades of Blue, but it's it's a story about corrupt cops digging themselves deeper holes because they just won't do the right thing. And so they just continue to cause more and more havoc and distrust with law enforcement. I feel like towards the end of her career, she's be, she is improving with almost every role. I mean that. I, I think she's getting to be a better and better actress with every role. Yeah, she's she's allowed to be pickier because she's got she's so successful. She doesn't have to take any any role. Mm-hmm. And she was she was decent in Shades of Blue. Mm-hmm. I thought she was pretty good. Yeah. Right. Produce your own show and act in it. I think there's two or three seasons. So it, it had a decent run over a three year period. During that same time, though, why you're not doing a lot of 
projects is because you're doing a Planet Hollywood residency from 2016 to 2018 that earned you over $100 million. So That's a lot of money. The money they make in Vegas for residencies blows my mind. Like Celine Dion's been doing it for like years now. And yeah, it's like I perform every Wednesday and Saturday and uh, make $100 million over two years. No big deal. You go to the town where everybody wants to go see a show. They don't care. They'll pay whatever. You want to hear my top 10 hits? That's cool. I could do that. James, it's every weekend. I mean, yeah, right. You got to work two days a week. That's crazy. And then we see her dating our boy A-Rod from 2017 to 2021, crossing over with Cam. The the rivalry with Cameron Diaz continues. Before you guys start shitting on A-Rod, I got to tell you the story. So on their first date, he was unsure of what her situation was, and he had had a crush on her forever. So the only way he could kind of break the ice is he went into the bathroom and he sent her a text and it read, you look sexy AF. I don't know what AF means, but it's is as friends, right? Yeah, that's exactly what it means. <laughs> as foes. <laughs> sexy and, uh, and fun. Yeah, there you go. It's hilarious that A-Rod, who's one of the most, who's one of the richest players in baseball history, has to go to the bathroom to send her a text to break the ice. That's how intimidating she is. You also have to keep in mind, A-Rod's a bizarre dude. So <laughs> There it <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah, he's just an odd duck, man. <laughs> I want to know something cool about J-Lo is that she's so big and successful at this point that we failed to mention that she was a minority owner of the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> we just kept it moving like, ah, eh, So much stuff with her personal life. It's hard. You spend a whole time without mentioning a role. She owned 1% of the Miami Dolphins, but she lost it in her divorce to Mark Anthony. <laughs> it's like, that's so much Yeah, money. don't forget she's been married three times already yeah. and had yeah. twins. She had twins and now we're on to, you know, A-Rod. Right. It's just there's so much going on in her life. She's amazing, really. Her legend. And we, have, we haven't even gotten to a lot of the data behind her impact, which I know I'll have some for my months of meter when I get there. Second Act, 2018, a movie where she played a character named Maya. She has kind of a whole story is about basically her creating a fake resume because she's stuck in this like retail, really smart for being in the retail world, wants to work in corporate America. Decent film. I thought she did carry the project pretty well. So check it out. It's available. It's streaming in places if you're listening. And then again, more influence. 2018, Time Magazine labeled her as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. If you start typing Jennifer into a search engine, the first one is usually Jennifer Aniston, and the second one is Jennifer Lopez. Right now, according to mine, Jennifer Lawrence is number one, but then it's Lopez number two. It's, yeah, it's crazy. All right, well, highest critic score. We're saving the best for last on this one. Yeah, we are. And Laura, as our guest Munson, is going to take this. It is 2019's Hustlers, a, mo- a role that got her ISA, Golden Globe, and Razzie noms, which is fascinating as hell. Okay, so this one... I feel bad because I'm not really the demographic for it, but you know, I, I heard about how this was her big comeback film and how she actually won all these awards for it. So I think my perception of what it was going to be and what it was, was kind of set me up for not being as happy with it as I thought I would be. But it's a 2019 American crime comedy drama that was written and directed by Lorraine Scarferrera, based on a New York Magazine's 2015 article, The Hustler at Scores, by Jessica Pressler. J-Lo plays a a seasoned stripper 
who works at this club and they they were pretty busy before the stock market crash and Constance Wu who is one of my favorites I do like her she she plays this kind of newbie stripper who comes in and JLo shows her the ropes and then you know with the crash that we had um then they stop making money and so they have to come up with a new con so they end up drugging the CEOs and stock traders and steal their money and run up their credit cards and they work out a deal with the strip club. And I mean, when you hear the premise of it, like it sounds kind of cool. It's kind of like, you know, I was thinking kind of Ocean's Eleven-ish, you know, but with strippers and and it had a pretty good cast with, you know, Jennifer Lopez and then Kiki Palmer and Lizzo and Cardi B. And Will Ferrell helped produce this and J-Lo helped produce it as well. She was an executive producer. It did really well financially, right? It grossed over $100 million U.S. in the North American box offices, uh, $33.2 million at the weekend, the opening weekend. And she had all these nominations for supporting actress for the Golden Globes, the SAG Awards, Independent Spirit Awards. So... You know, it it really sounded great, but where it kind of fell apart for me was the story. It could have been so much better. Like I I really liked it towards the end, but a third of the way through, I was getting bored, and I was like, "How am I getting bored with this movie?" It's uh, so. What I liked about it was I liked I liked the the costumes. I thought they were amazing. I liked the lighting. I liked the set. I liked the music. I liked that Janet Jackson kicked us off and ended it which is appropriate with her dancing with Janet. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was a ton of eye candy, you know, the beautiful women. And it had some really excellent, like, touching moments between the characters. There's a real bond, you know, and dysfunctional relationship between the two, the two strippers. The, the problem I had with it was the pacing. It was so slow moving. A third of the way through, I almost wanted to turn it off. And it just, it felt like a Lifetime movie meets Cinemax, you know, with the nudity. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, I felt hustled. I felt hustled. I was like, okay, wait, this could have been so much better. Uh, I, there were some moments I, I when um, the guy jumps off the roof, you know, and they have to take him to the hospital and she's screaming, my husband, my husband, you know. That was That's very funny. Right. And I love the, I can't remember the character's name, but the blonde woman who kept vomiting everywhere, that would have been the part I would have wanted if I could have picked a role because it just was hysterical. It would have been fun to play. There were a lot of good moments, uh, a lot of girl bonding, and but I just felt like, gosh, it could have really been, it could have really just been amazing. And it fell a little short for me. If I were grading it, it would probably be a C minus. I probably won't see this again. I don't know. What do you guys think? Laura, you're actually, it sounds like your score is actually pretty close to the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, which is uh, 65, so like C minus area ish. I was a huge fan of this movie. I'm definitely on the other side of it. I think the 87 is probably more towards what I was. Um, I think this is my favorite role of JLo's. I think she nails it as this kind of like mother hen character who. You could tell as like a good, I won't say a good soul. You could tell she she means well, but kind of falls into like this life of crime. 
And I, f- I like kind of the relationship her and Constance Wu had, but I do agree with you. It is a little slow in certain parts. I think, I think they just kind of wanted to show how like desperate everyone was at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did move a little slow, but I, I saw this movie in theaters with my wife and the opening 10 minutes, there is a long, long shot, a constant shot of following Constance Wu. And she ends up like freezing at the stage and you watch JLo perform to Fiona Apple's song. What is it? I've been a bad, bad girl. Like in constant, and it goes back to Constance Wu's face and she's like jaw on the floor shocked. And I looked at my wife and my wife was also jaw on the floor shocked at how amazing JLo looks. She's aging in reverse. It's like, it's like the Illuminati thing is true. And (laughs) She's somehow younger now than when she was first introduced into our lives. I really like the scene where after they all get interrogated, they leave and JLo's like trying to, you know, get the troops together to figure out their story. And she's like, and Constance goes, yeah, I took the deal. And she reminds JLo's character that she's a mom. Like I did it for my kid and JLo wants to be mad at her, but JLo's like, shit, I'm a mom too. Like I can't know what she says. Motherhood's a mental illness. Yep. She's like, she's like, I get it. I I appreciated that, that part of their character arcs. It's also based on a true story. That was a, that was a major story in New York Mm -hmm. when that came out. Cardi B admitted when she's like, when I was a stripper, this happened all the time. Yeah. Like it wasn't, she's like, I don't even feel bad about it because it was just the way things were. And so when she's in this, movie it's it's a story she's that familiar with laura i i'm with you on this one i wanted to like it more than i did and i think probably because we talked i can't remember what movie we talked about last on the cameron diaz oh bad teacher like the morals of this are just kind of so upside down that like you you can't really (laughs) you can't really support any of these characters and you're just like do i really want to be on their side like i almost kind of wanted to be like the big short kind of where like it's the it's like the little guys meaning like outsmarting the big guys, like the the rich people who like, you know, that screwed them. They're trying to find a way to get back at them. And this one was a little harder to stomach for me. JLo was great in it. I, I she is definitely a career defining role for her. I it's up there for for me for one of her best performances, but I didn't enjoy the movie all that much. It's just so interesting because everybody was talking about her getting Oscar buzz for best supporting actress. And she got a Razzie. No. Nah. <laughs> we never we haven't seen this before where somebody is getting legitimate Oscar buzz and getting a nomination for the worst performance of the year. Like, that's not supposed to happen. But she did win s- several legit awards for this. You know, she oh, yeah. did. And I lost count of how many because there were so many. I listed them all out. Mm-hmm. But for best actress and supporting actress. And so, yeah. Very interesting. Hustlers. The first highest critic we've had in a while where it's not like both critics and audiences at the same level. There's more of a critic gap, but kind of goes to kind of show a little bit of what her resume brings us. So to kind of round it out, the last couple of years, there's not much to speak of in terms of roles on screen. She did the Super Bowl halftime show in 2020 with Shakira. That was a huge, huge deal. I don't think we've covered anybody that's done anything to, of that magnitude. And like a, Obviously, we haven't covered many musicians on the pod, but... That's a big deal. It's a huge deal. That's huge. A musician doing the Super Bowl, that is such validation of your popularity and your career. That's a really big deal. Holy cow. Unless Justin Timberlake uh, ripped your top off. (laughs) (laughs) Back to Janet Jackson, are we? 
And then in 2021, this will be kind of an ode to what's coming. She signed a, a contract contract with Netflix. So we'll see her doing a lot of Netflix pictures over the ne- next few years. And you can judge that for good or for bad. As we kind of wrap things up, just some some larger topics or thoughts. You know, we mentioned a bunch. I, I isolated a bunch of songs in the show notes. We mentioned most of them. Stuff we didn't mention, like Booty featuring Iggy Azalea. I remember that mo- music video was pretty ridiculous if you if you're into that kind of thing girls like you speaking of maroon five and cardi b we are the one with pitbull was the world cup anthem in 2014 on top of the world there she did on the floor with him and then that song was the world cup anthem that's pretty cool again that's like that's at the same level of the super bowl for just a different sport mm-hmm. oh I mean, yeah like, that's, for sure that's the thing. worldwide i mean that's you know international i mean that's, that's mm-hmm. bigger maybe huge pretty potentially yeah huge international appeal and then some of the other accolades here, again, we didn't even mention. She's on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, like others we've covered. She got a Billboard Icon Award. She won the Michael Jackson Video Vanguard Award. She has be- her own beauty and clothing lines, her own fragrances. She has her own production company and charitable foundation. I mean, this woman does everything. It's ridiculous. And she's an author. Oh, really? She wrote a book, too. Oh, good grief. Her Munson's score just went up. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, let's, so let's move to top performances. Rigby, what do you got for us? All right, so the list that I have is actually, it's not ranked, and it only has eight films, but it's uh, from comingsoon.net, and it's her most memorable role. So not maybe not necessarily her best, but these are the ones, these are the ones that, that are most memorable. So Geely could be on there this time. Yes. How many are there? There's only eight of them. Hmm. Okay, eight. Eight of her most memorable roles. This is going to be tough. Give me Out of Sight has to be on that list. Yes, Out of Sight. Wedding planner. No. What? Monster in law. No. Jeez. Hustlers. Hustlers, yep. Uh, Selena. Geely. Selena. Geely is not on here, thankfully. Enough is Made in Manhattan. Made in Manhattan is not either. They ignored all the rom coms. Yep. <laughs> Money train. Nope. Wow. Did we say the wedding planner? Wedding planner is not. Wow. Shall we dance? No, I wanted Shall We Dance on here too, but it's not. Man, it's so charming. What about Ice Age? Ice Age, nope. Anaconda has to be on No, that. no, I know. What? It's... what? What is this list? Porter Town. Nope. Good grief. The Cell? Nope. Parker. Oh my God. I didn't mention Parker, but. Nope. Obviously, it's not that memorable. <laughs> Second act? Nope. Did you hear me say enough? Nope. I, did, I didn't hear you say that, but that's not on here. Holy cow. All right, you just have to tell us, man. Ice Age? Nope. Oh, my fuck. Oh, You're going to have to tell us, Boy man. next door. We're... Nope. Oh, my God. Holy shit. The backup plan? Nope. Angel Eyes. Oh, my God. Nope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Ants? Okay. Stop it. All right. You turn. All right. <laughs> the list stinks. And blood and wine. <laughs> Get it. What was the one we didn't mention? The one we didn't mention uh, is An Unfinished Life with Robert Redford. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, yeah. Such a mediocre movie. with. But that was a more dramatic role for her. So maybe that's why. Who made this list? Terrible. <laughs> Steven Dorff made this list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic Steven. I think it. Uh, it wanted to make it a little more... You know, we all know her for her roles in like the romantic comedies, but I think this was trying to highlight ones where she put a, put a little bit more uh, heart and effort into it. I think so. Yeah, unfinished life is just like 
it was like a straight five. Like it was okay. There's huge star power, Robert Redford and Morgan Freeman. If that was the rationale, then El Cantante should have been on there. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That should have been on there. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you ask me, it's safe to say the average person, if you judge her career, would say that her top, her best, like in terms of pure acting, her best performances are Hustlers, Selena, and Out of Sight. Am I wrong in saying that? Those three? No, I feel good about that. I agree. I'd agree 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's round out a five. Is Shall We Dance in there? I would throw that in there. I think Shall We Dance is. I think she's great in it. Yeah. Doesn't get nearly enough love for it. I, I think Shall We Dance like showed, like led her to Hustlers because I feel like she is like the mama hen character for lack of a better term, even though I liked what you used there, James. <laughs> That's kind of what she is in that movie too, I feel like. That's a really good point. The other one I would throw out memorably would, would be Money Train. Okay. It's good for young. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I like her in that. I would say Anaconda for me. Okay. That's my top five. All right, the way this works, we review every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. Those factors could include longevity, project choice, their pop culture impact, their acting range, their awards footprint, which is going to be interesting with her, other talents that they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that matters to us as Munson's. And I will get us started this time. So what I like about J-Lo, she's a triple threat entertainer. She has made over $3 billion in the box office and over $70 million in album sales. So just in terms of like success, I mean, it's there. The numbers back it up. What she accomplished for Latin actors is impressive. The, the path that she blazed for others to follow has to be called out. Her philanthropic giving is immense. She's a huge LGBTQ ally. Her her impact outside of like off screen and in entertainment is just unmatched for anyone that we've covered up to this point. Like Super Bowl, you know, like World Cup, all those things. Now the other side of it is nominated for eleven different Razzies, <laughs> one two of them, right? And the most we've ever had up to this point was Jim Carrey with four, right? So we've more than doubled that and and. Added to the David Spade, Daryl Hannah universe of winning Razzies. Multiple ones. Almost tripled it. And Gigli is one of the most unwatchable pieces of shit ever. <laughs> and that is always going to take a few points off when you when you clue that in. As I, you know, I use the same rubric every time. I'm not much of a, like, look at how they stack up. And so what's hilarious is when James talked about the, the rivalry between J-Lo and Cameron Diaz for roles, prestige sometimes dating. I gave Cameron Diaz a 70, and when it's all said and done, I'm giving J-Lo a 70, and I'm putting them right next to each other. That's super interesting. I'm going to see if my Diaz score is similar. That's hilarious. They obviously bring different thing, different toolkits to the, the table, but I, when I look at, like, she takes a huge hit on range. I gave her maximum points in pop culture. She takes... A, she Personal life is fantastic. She's not very funny. I don't think. And her box office and project choices are not great. So when you add it all up, she's right at the 70 mark for me. Hilarious. <laughs> Case. I can't tell if she convinces directors and producers that she can take average roles and make them good. Or if directors and producers are giving her average roles and expecting her to make them into gold. Either way, I, I think it probably has a negative effect on the way a lot of her performances are viewed. I agree with everything you said, Kyle, and, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I've shared a lot of my thoughts on her throughout, so 
I'm just going to give my score of a 77. Laura, our guest months in Europe. So I'm I'm pretty close to you, Kyle. Like for longevity, I felt it's kind of medium, consistency medium. Pop culture, I went way over like the highest you could give. Yeah. Range, the lowest you could give almost. <laughs> yeah. So so for her acting, so see, this is where I'm torn. Like, because if we're just doing acting. I would have ended at like 62, 63. But then I had to say, no, it's JLo. So then I put in the music. I put in the writing the book. I put in the philanthropy work. I put in the fashion icon. I put in, you know, all the other joy she brings. She does. She brings a lot of joy to the world. And so I consider that all extra credit in the entertainment world, you know. So that would probably bump her up to like a 72. 72 it is. James. It's really fascinating to see how we all kind of are going through this thought process where we're like, she's not a great actor, but she's not as bad as everyone says she is, but she is a superstar. Mm-hmm. So how do we do it? <laughs> she's far and away the most successful person we've covered. Yeah. Uh, she doubles number two that we've covered. You guys have said everything there is to say about her acting. I really enjoyed Hustlers. I thought that was great. One thing you guys keep just glancing over is how she's famously unliked. <laughs> Uh, by celebrities. So I wrote in Jennifer Lopez verses into Google. And here are a list of her uh, notable feuds. And I'm just going to read a couple. You guys stop me when you want me to. Rosie Perez, Cameron Diaz, her husband, Ojani Noah, who she had to get a, a NDA. Oh, yeah. So he wouldn't release a book about their relationship. Gwyneth Paltrow, Casper Smart, her other husband, Alex Rodriguez's ex-wife, uh, Leah Re- uh, Remini, who she's now best friends with, Cher, Eva Longoria, Alex Rodriguez, Jose Canseco. Like, these are people, Keith Urban, everyone gets in fights with her. So that is another reason why I'm going to negate it. It's like, man, I appreciate all the good things you're doing for charity, and you're obviously a superstar, and you're an okay actress, but you seem to be just annoying as shit because uh, everyone just seems to get into arguments with you. But I'm right where you guys are. I'm going to give her a 71. Not to defend my girl too much, but most of those people I'd pick a fight with too. So Harry Connick Jr., Eva Mendez, yep. Nick <laughs> Cannon, yeah, Howard Stern. Yes. Fuck Nick Cannon. Yeah. Hey, I'm on J-Lo's side for the record. How many are on that list? How many celebrities do you have? <laughs> I probably have about a fifth le- to- left to go. <laughs> Oh uh, my goodness. Well, I have the lowest uh, months and meter score up for her, so put me on the hey, list. Let's go. <laughs> keep me off that list, man. I'm I'm Team J Lo. Rigby, round us out. If her if her comparison with Cameron Diaz in acting means anything, I think Cameron Diaz is a much better actor than her. I think I gave Cameron Diaz in the eighties, I want to say. What did I give her? Eighty three. Eighty three, yeah. So J Lo obviously, if this was if we were doing a pop culture standalone podcast on that she would be the highest i think we've ever done um i think it's safe to say that but i think obviously her she will forever be known in the tabloids and the pop culture stuff for her music and not her movies and i think that's safe to say that hustlers you know she's it's an interesting point in her career because now she has that career defining role and she's she's getting more work from that so it's interesting to see sort of what she turns that into whether or not she goes back to the cheesy romantic comedies with that are badly reviewed, or she turns it into good dramas like Hustlers that is are well received by critics and can establish her range a little bit more. That being said, I think the fact you can't escape the fact that the eleven Razzie nominations and just the really bad stretch from the two thousands to basically to Hustlers of movie that movies that she was in. So all that being said, I'm going to give her a seventy four. 
with that, that puts JLo in 27th place. So right in the middle. Sandwiched between Tim Roth and Jaiman Hansu. I mean, it, it, it's two very talented act, you know, not fully mainstream actors who kind of do characters who we would say, like, we really respect, like, their craft. And then a superstar who does acting sometimes on the side. But her, her, her final number is a 72.4, so it's, it's about a point difference between the two of them. So right in the middle. Did I give the highest score again? You did. You gave a 77. I just must be this person that just Nothing wrong with that, man. chases stardom. I gave Hemsworth a huge score. <laughs> I love how we always have score regret. Yeah. <laughs> James, I'm glad I went ahead of you, or her score would have been really inflated hearing all the beefs that she has. I love that. Bro, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's anyone. She just, if you, and like, slightly are not on the same page as you, she just Bowls right through you, bro. All these people like, I don't give a shit. I'm J-Lo. I'm going to be the star. He is from the block. James, what does she have coming? So she's actually producing um, five movies, and I'm intrigued to see that because if she's putting her money behind it, it might, you know, this is probably now her choosing the right, hopefully now choosing the roles that she wants and the roles that she's interested in, as opposed to being like, hey, who's giving me a paycheck? I'll be in the next rom-com. <laughs> yeah. But she's got a movie coming out, uh, not coming out. It's in pre-production called At- uh, Atlas, which is sounds kind of like a like a sci-fi Black Mirror type of thing about bleak future of AI. A movie called The Godmother, which is about a drug cartel, and both of those are in pre-production. And then let me see here, The Mother, which is also a drama about assassins, that's coming out this year. And then Shotgun Wedding, which is a rom-com, but it's got a pretty good cast. Jennifer Coolidge, Josh Duhamel, Cheech Martin's in it, Lenny Kravitz. That one's more of a rom-com. Did you mean Timothy Oliphant? Yeah, right. It's Josh Duhamel, sir. Sorry. Sorry, (laughs) Ralph Ralph Fiennes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, But she also has a movie, I believe, coming out today in Marry Me with Owen Wilson. Wow. Craig, it's not wow, it's wow. (laughs) I was trying to set you up, man. They're supposed to be music superstars are getting married before a global audience of fans, but she learns seconds before her vows that Owen Wilson's cheated on her. Not, not Owen Wilson, her other, like the guy she's supposed to get married is cheating on her. So she like marries Owen Wilson on a whim. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I have him backwards. Oh, yes. The guy she's supposed to get. Yeah. Owen Wilson's the dude in the crowd. So she just yeah. marries a guy in the crowd. You thought Owen Wilson could be a musical superstar? Uh, dude, Zoolander's one of my favorite yeah, movies. Man. Owen Wilson can do anything, bro. I'm with you. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to think about is like, who is the male equivalent of J-Lo? Like, who's an actor that's kind of mediocre? Will Smith. You think? No, but Will Smith's, he's a good, I think Will Smith's Will Smith's, a a, Will Smith's gonna win Best Actor this year. Yeah, I think he's Probably. a good actor. But I see the music like movie crossover yeah yeah are there any male musicians who are successful actors mark anthony chris christopherson yeah chris christopherson yeah hey eminem was great in eight mile it's true and the interview that's a great question i don't know i'm trying to think i don't know if there is one uh will smith's probably the closest to it he's just a better actor probably less music success and more acting success Uh, wow you obviously haven't heard of the willennium you wouldn't say that I loved Wild Wild West. Come on. Not the movie, the song. If we ever cover that man, he gets mentioned on every episode yeah, of Mutsons at the Movies. We're Will Smith fans. Yeah, we are. 
Oh my god. Is he your man crush? No. no. Oh man. Kurt Russell. <laughs> He's on the list. No. It's a growing list. There's a lot of DILF energy from Will Smith for sure. So our next podcast is going to hit February 24th. Our featured guest is Tony Gebhardt of Flix X-Ray. He was with us last time for the Seth Green episode. Oh, nice. And he is picking one of these five. Here are the five options that were threw onto the wheel. The wheel has selected one of these five, and Tony selected this actor. So is it Rooney Mara, Christina Ricci, Lena Headey, Heath Ledger, or Ava Mendez? Man, I like that list. They're all so unique. And- yeah, I'm with you, James. Heath or Christina? Those would be my, I would pick one of those two. I agree. I think those are probably the best of the two, of the five. I think Rooney Mara is so talented. Mm-hmm. Like, she's such a good actress. I would love to do her. She always plays someone very strange. And Heath Ledger, obviously, just because the legend of Heath Ledger. You I've know? never seen Brokeback um, Mountain. I th- feel like it's finally time for me dude, to watch Brokeback the Brokeback Mountain is one of the best. It's it's. One of the best movies of the 2000s. It's so good. I think you'd really, really like it, Kyle. I probably would. I like him and Jill and all. I'm a big fan of both of them, so I'd be in. Um, I'm with you, Rigby. My number one would be Rooney Mara. I think I don't really want to do Ava Mendez. That would probably be the one I'd least like, but I would be interested to learn more about Lena and Christina's life and background because I just don't know much about them. Yeah, I don't really know much other than Game of Thrones, like what Lena Headley, what she was really been in same but she was awesome in game of thrones what is what was her character in oh my god dude she is the most, she's know. cersei she's like the cersei. most evil fucking person on earth the first role that comes to mind for me for her is 300 i remember her in that. oh yeah that is right she is in 300 oh yeah that's right i, I forgot, forgot she was in that i think rooney mara just because social network is awesome carol's awesome she's a nightmare alley she's very good in that too girl with the dragon tattoo She's in her Heath Ledger, though. We get to talk about his Joker performance, which is like one of my favorite performances of all time. Goat level shit. All we're going to talk about. Yep. Best villain performance in movie history. One of them. You have to cut an hour and a half of me talking about his Joker performance. (laughs) (laughs) And he also, I just went to his IMDb. He only has 23 credits. So it's a very digestible amount of content. That's what I'm calling for. That means I can watch every single one of his movies. He's great in 10 Things I Hate About You. I remember we covered that yep. early on in the pod. Big fan. Oh, and the, and the Night movie? He's great in that. Oh, Night's Tale? His last movie, all the other actors rallied and did portions of the film so that they could still wrap the film and give the money to his kid. It was, it was really beautiful. That's awesome. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Mm-hmm. Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. <laughs> That's a very cool fact. Yeah, Brothers Grimm. Yeah, I remember remember him and Brothers Grimm too. So that'd be fun. Yeah, I say Rooney or Heath. Laura, who would you pick if you had to if you had to choose? Oh, Heath or Christina? I don't know. Yeah, I like those. I like those choices as well. I will not be angry about having to watch Casper because I love Casper. Big fan. I hear Yellow Jackets is great. Is she in Yellow Jackets? Yeah, I yeah, she's like the main character. And then is she the main character, one of the main characters? And what's the one with uh, Samuel L. Jackson where he's got her chained up? Uh, Black, Black Snake Mode. Oh, yeah. Black Snake Mode. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if that movie's any good. I refuse to watch it when it came I've out. I've never seen it all. Um, <laughs> all right. Who do we think Tony would pick, knowing he did Seth Green last time? Christina Ricci. Yeah. That's a, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go her, too. Well, we'll see. We don't decide. Tony doesn't decide. Laura doesn't decide. 
the wheel decides and we'll see what happens. Well, Laura, it was wonderful. This was a really fun conversation. It went a while, but it, it was just, it's so free flowing and JLo is such a fascinating performer and you always bring such a unique perspective to our conversations and we appreciate you being here. Any plugs or wise words for our audience this is your time to shine no thank you again guys i just love being on it's a lot of fun i i really enjoy it it's so much fun thank you so thank you and thanks yeah. laura yeah i love hearing your stories they're so fun bill murray awaits one of these days. yeah bill murray <laughs> bill murray would be that'd be the dream chicago uh, actor for you right mm-hmm we love having you on. Every time you drop one of those stories, it like blows my mind. I'm like, I can't believe we haven't spent the whole time talking about this. Yeah. We'll keep you around. Sounds great. Great having you once again. Thanks, Laura. Thank you so much. So as we wrap this thing up, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at the Movies. You can catch us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from JLo? Oh, I can. I'm this horrible bitch, and you're a great guy. All of a sudden, a fucking light bulb went off in your head, and now you're realizing that you and me ain't good together? Munson's out. <sighs> All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?